You're listening to Catalyst Talks, conversations with change agents, outliers, superheroes, and truly conscious leaders modeling what it is to be an unstoppable force for good and truth in this world. What lit these catalysts on fire to do their work and what nuggets of wisdom can they share with a world literally on fire? I'm your host, Stephanie Traeger. I'm a transformational catalyst and life coach to maverick change agents in business leadership and life. On this podcast, I wear an eclectic mix of hats, including earthkeeper, wayfinder, truth teller, coach, lawyer, business and impact strategist. My intention is holding space for higher purpose, peak wellness, soul mastery, and deeper impact so we can live in harmony with ourselves, each other, and nature. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. If you love it, please share and spread the word. We're on YouTube and all the podcast platforms. See the show notes on catalysttalks.com for links and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to Catalyst Talks podcast and a big welcome to my guest, Trisha Brooke. For those who don't know Trisha, she's an international award-winning director, founder of the Big Talk Academy, and was executive producer of TEDx Lincoln Square in New York City. She curates the Speaker Salon in New York City, hosts the Big Talk, an award-winning podcast, and is the author of the book, The Influential Voice, Saying What You Mean for Lasting Legacy. That's a tiny snippet of the vast experience and the creations from my friend, Trisha. So we're going to dive in right now and we're going to learn about you as a catalyst. And we're going to dive into some of the potent medicine in your book and in your work and your teachings. And I would love to start always in the deep end. So I'm curious, Trisha, what is up for you right now? What's the most important issue, personal or planetary, that's top of mind for you right now? Oh my goodness, Stephanie, first of all, thank you for having me on the show and for asking me if I'm ready to touch the hearts of millions before we even went live, setting us up in this space and in this safe container to be able to explore all the things together feels so delightful and lovely. And what's top of mind for me right now is the urgency that I'm experiencing the power of using your voice. And that is because I'm right in the middle of the speaker salon, we're in week three, and the speakers taking the stage every week and being able to share their powerful and using your word potent language is really the elixir and the medicine for humanity. So what's top of mind right now is the absolute urgent responsibility that we have to speak and to use our voice. So tell us a little bit about the speaker salon, what it is, what inspired it. I have to also say just whenever I speak to you, whenever I hear you say what you just said or read you know, the written word uh, from you saying that, I always feel like, oh my God, I'm not speaking enough. <laughs> I'm not saying enough because, you know, I have a lot to say. So yeah, tell us about the speaker salon, what inspired it as a platform to, you know, pr- to move forward this mission of yours. The speaker salon was an experiment and it was an experiment that I tried out on speakers that I took from the school of acting. When you go to acting school, they provide you with a showcase at the end so that you can perform monologues and scenes in front of agents and managers so that as an actor, you can get representation after you graduate from school. And I thought, well, that would be interesting if I 
created a salon or a, a speaker salon showcase at the end. So everybody goes through this process with me. And at the end, they perform their talks in front of decision makers, producers, podcast hosts, event organizers, conference organizers, TEDx producers. And I put a, a post out on social media, simply asking, would anybody like to do this? And I had over 200 yeses. And I thought, clearly, this is something that I've touched on. So I hosted the very first speaker salon in 2017 live, and it became the incubator for speakers to work on material. It's like an open mic night. Every week you get on stage and you try out new content in front of us. If we go, <gasps> you know, it's landing. If there's crickets, you know, it's not. Mm. And at the end, you get to perform that talk for an audience. Now I live stream it as well as having people in the theater. And in addition to the opportunity to perform, to have a reel, to get in front of the people who can book you on stages, it's an opportunity for me to keep the conversation going of what's happening in the world. And that's super important to me. My values are inclusion, integrity, respect, curiosity, humility, dignity, and love. And so when things happen like Xander Moritz's speech on having curly hair in a humid climate in Texas or Florida rather, when that speech happens, I talk about it. I read that speech in its entirety at the speaker salon yesterday because it's happening in the world. I talk about things that are going on. So that platform is, yes, it's an incubator for speakers and it's a space to have conversations about what's going on in the world so that we as thought leaders and influencers can determine how to best serve humanity and have impact. Mm, that's beautiful. And in your book, um, you really are, you, you, you frame the conversation with all the chatter and the noise. And we, we know that there's like a lot of noise going on and there's a lot of sides and there's a lot of division and derision and, and, you know, just kind of divisiveness on a lot of issues today. And so one of the most important things I have found in like my meaning making journey throughout these last few years, well, throughout my life, because I've always kind of been this activist is really about this, this journey to having, using your voice, but not making other people wrong, saying what you need to say. And yeah, there's a position you talk about this as a point of view, you have a point of view and doesn't, and how can you communicate that without making other people wrong? So yeah, talk about, because you talk about conscious communication in your book. So yeah, what inspires that for you? Well, I think this is one of the reasons that I was attracted to you when we met, however many years ago, Stephanie, is that you are an activist and you are uh, a shaman and you are so deeply connected to earth and everything that you do every single day, you think about in order to be of service to this planet and every person on it. So mm -hmm. that's first, I want to highlight that and thank you for that. Conscious communication is simply conscious communication. It means thinking about what you're saying and why you're saying it. And I think that what you touched on is not making anyone else wrong. Being able to coexist with differing opinions is totally possible. 
And your language of not making someone else wrong is what's so important for your listeners to hear is you may not have the same opinion. You may choose to live your life a different way. That doesn't mean you're better. It doesn't mean you're bigger. It doesn't mean they're smaller or they're, they're wrong. And that's, I think, something that we can all work on. We all have an opportunity every single day because there's so many unconscious bias. We're born into a certain family. We're born into a certain demographic. We're born into a certain socioeconomic culture, race, religion, gender, sexual orientation. All those things exist for all of us. And that requires us to make a decision to become conscious so that we can coexist together in peace and in love and in harmony. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, something that we have to put into practice every single day. I was having a conversation with this amazing woman and she was saying, you know, we other all the time. And she made me laugh out loud. She's like, I'm othering the bicyclists who are riding in the sidewalk. <laughs> and I thought that's hilarious. Yes. So it's our job. It's our responsibility to become conscious so that we can, when we are othering or when we are separating, we just pause, we get curious and we make a better choice. Mm. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, was it maybe I don't know, like six years ago, when, however long ago it was that I sent in my video application for, um, for TEDx Lincoln square. And, you know, it's pretty much the same topic, the same big idea as you call it. And I want to dive into that in a minute, but it's, that was what, um, it's the same big idea I have now, but it's so much has changed. I have changed so much when I reflect back. Why didn't I get that? Why didn't I get it? <laughs> it was, I was still mad. I was still othering, right? I was like, they, you guys have to wake up. And you're like, ouch. So, <laughs> yeah. and it's funny because like after that, I went on to create like, like, you know, programs around conscious vocabulary and really just, wow, impeccability with your word as in the words of Don Miguel Ruiz, right? In the four agreements. Yeah. Um, so yeah, how would you say you spend a lot of time sort of um, being the guardrail for your speakers on your stages around, you know, just the one word, one word can change a whole vibe, right? Well, for sure. And as a writer of many screenplays, musicals, the book, letters to my husband, friends. I, I absolutely choose my words wisely. And I think language and words are so scrumptious. <laughs> and it is um, my job to direct my speakers, which means giving them direction so that they think of the word that is their language. I can insert my word, but it's got to be theirs. Mm. And so that's something that I do by asking them questions. Um, how would you say this if you were doing this? How would you say this if you were this? And then they come up with a new way of communicating what they are trying to say in a way that's super potent. Mm. And that is definitely something that we do. And it's part of my work with all of my clients and my speakers is script analysis, uh, and so many speakers say the same thing disguised in different word, uh, word choices, different word uh, organization. Mm -hmm. And so it is part of the process for sure to choose your words wisely. And I'll also say that um, forgiveness 
is a huge part of this process because when I wrote the influential voice saying what you mean for lasting legacy, I panicked because what does that mean now? What if I am not choosing my words wisely when I have low bandwidth and I'm with my husband and it's late and I say the thing that I shouldn't have said? What does that mean now that I wrote the influential voice? Well, what it means is I can ask for a do-over. It means I'm a human being. I'm flawed. I'm not always going to choose the perfect word. And that's something that I also want everybody to realize is you don't all of a sudden step into this role of the perfect communicator ever. Mm-hmm. Conscious communicator is always conscious of doing the best and we're all flawed human beings. So when you don't, you get to ask for a do-over. And when I gave myself permission to do that and uh, practice relentless forgiveness all day long, every day of self and others, then you can truly be an influential voice. Mm. I love that because re- like what I've been really pondering lately is, you know, in the, in the words of being a conscious communicator, the way that you say this, I mean, everyone has a different way that they even explain what conscious consciousness is or conscious communication is right. And the, it was beautiful about what you just said and how you frame it in your book is how it's just being, it's also the self-awareness. And when you, choose when you choose, it's a choice and it's a choice every moment. Right. And when you choose that path, when you choose just to embody being a conscious communicator, there's so much medicine in it, right? Like every time you do find that you go veer off, you don't only have to do the do-over. It's like, well, what's my medicine? What's my lesson? What's the gift in this? Where's the upgrade? So do you find that that, I mean, you know, you're doing, you're helping people put their mission, their voice and their message in the world. And what level of transformation do you see in people as you work with them in this capacity? Oh my goodness. I have goosebumps. The level of transformation is not something I expected when I first began to do this. And keep in mind your listeners, I have been in New York city for over 30 years in film, television, and theater. And I know how to create a safe space for my actors. I know how to produce a show. I know how to make films. I've made several documentaries. What I did not know when I began mentoring and directing speakers is that not only would they put on a good show and have a wonderful presentation, and ultimately these are all mini one person shows, right? What I did not know and was not prepared for was the transformation of the speaker. And that means the confidence, mm-hmm. more self-awareness, the direct connection to what's bigger than them and the ripple effect that they're having by sharing from a stage and sharing their important message. And when I witness that, I'm literally the doula and they're giving birth. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have children. I've never wanted to have children of my own. It's a choice that I've made. I love my life and I've never wanted to have children, but I truly feel like I am the mother and the doula and the, the um, I'm here to elevate and amplify all of those voices. And that's my legacy. Mm-hmm. You really do embody that. You really do embody that. 
I've also witnessed you. I've witnessed you from, you know, expanding in not only your business, your mission, but, you know, I was, I remember when you first put out your, I think, I guess it was your first course around the big talk and then your big idea and all, and watching you expand and expand. And I want to talk so much about, there's so many things I want to talk about in this, um, in this context, though, one of the things that um, you said in, in the book was about what you're saying has to come from a healed place. Like to stand on stage, it, it can't come from that. You can't still be triggered in the trauma. I don't want to say can't, right? But that, speak to that because that when I read it, I was like spot on, right? How many times are we speaking from our own triggers and trauma and how do you help people really discern whether they're ready for that, this piece of the vulnerability that is needed in the story? The first thing that I ask speakers when they're sharing, and it, whether it's virtually or on the stage, is first of all, are you healed from that? Mm. Literally, I ask. And if the question, if the answer is yes, I ask, how does it feel in your body when you're sharing it? Because that's going to tell us and them really quickly if they're truly healed. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's so important is because. When you share vulnerably from, from the stage, it's in service of the audience, not in service of your therapy in front of us. <laughs> and that's really, really important because if you are upset, triggered, emotional, you prevent us from having the emotional experience and we end up having to take care of you. And that's not the audience's job. The audience's job is to receive everything that you are giving. And if you are, are in need of being taken care of in that moment, you've just switched the power dynamic. And that's why it's so important that you share from, and I'm not the first person who says this, share from the scar, not the wound. And I'll give you an example. Sarah Montana, who was in my event, TEDx Lincoln Square, she submitted her written application about forgiveness. She wanted to talk about how we are taught to forgive and it's helpful and it helps the healing process, but nobody teaches you how to do it. And her forgiveness story was directly related to her mother and brother being murdered on Christmas Eve. And I thought to myself, how is this woman going to share this story? I feel bad. The audience is going to feel bad. We're all going to be feeling bad. And I realized that was my limitation. And then it was, I needed to challenge myself to ask her to submit a video talking about this so that I could see how she was going to do it and not impose my own story onto her, which mm -hmm. was she couldn't. So I stepped back, I asked her to submit a video and it to this day was one of the most powerful video submissions I've ever received. She was sitting in front of a laptop lit by the computer screen, no fancy production value. And she told the story. And she told why she was telling the story. And the reason that she, that I knew she had healed from the trauma was because it was literally storytelling devoid of emotion, mm. not devoid of performance by any means. It was an incredible performance, but I knew that she was going to be absolutely in control and, and captivating and in command of her performance. And 
it's exactly what happened. And she delivers this talk and it's extremely powerful. And we feel as an audience, extremely taken care of by her. Mm. How much do you feel like when you're working with folks or like you said before that your platform, this platform that you're creating is part of your purpose is to hold the space for these conversations, these issues, these stories, and the things that you care about, right? And what, um, how much do you kind of go further into certain issues where maybe someone comes with a, a new story, a new issue, and you're like, wow, I care about that. I'm really interested in that. So I'm asking you personally, right? What, how, you know, how do you navigate with things? And maybe it's something that you already have. And maybe you can give an example, like you talked about diversity. That's one of your you know, important issues for you today. And so what, yeah, what do you, how do you hold the issue, right? Because it's someone else's story. It's someone else's saying. So how, what do you, how does it kind of trigger, not trigger, wrong word, spark something in you? This is such a great question. And it's, of course, we're connected energetically. So of course you're asking me this because I just recorded a podcast about it last week. <laughs> and that is because when I'm working with speakers and high level influencers who are doing and talking about really intense things like climate change, censorship, freedom of speech, othering, vaccinations, pandemic, war, like these are the things that speakers are coming to, to me to talk about and to get support in how to do it efficiently, effectively, and powerfully. And when I know everything there is to know about climate change and what's really going on with the planet, I have to be very, very careful <laughs> with not taking that on. Because in an hour, I've got a conversation with someone about freedom of speech and censorship and politics. And I know now everything that's going on behind the scenes. I have to be very careful to not take that on. Same thing with a traumatic brain injury because of a snowboarding accident. Like mm. I have to be super careful to not experience what this person experienced, not knowing if they would ever walk, talk, or eat alone again. And that requires me to, A, I have a very solid self-care and personal routine that I don't deviate from. And also it's my mission and purpose to support people who are talking about really important things. So I navigate that by making sure that I'm energetically protected so that I'm elevating their voice and mm -hmm. it doesn't a make me feel bad all the time <laughs> because things could be Debbie Downer, right? If I let them or B, I need to know how to constantly be in the highest vibration so that I can serve my clients who are talking about these really intense things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I resonate. Yeah. <laughs> Walk a similar journey. So what about, what, what, do you, what are you about when you kind of have a different point of view or a different uh, perspective on some of these issues? Because these are issues and- lots of different voices saying different things. And so how does that, you know, how do you hold that? When I have a different opinion from one of my clients. Or like maybe you have a differing perspective on the issue that they're 
that they're passionate about and that your work is to help them extract and deliver. I love it. I love it because then I get to learn a new point of view. Mm-hmm. I get to go inside someone's process and how they think and see the world through their eyes. That for me is a massive gift. And I also, you know, it's, it, this is a very benign example. When a speaker comes to me and says, I'm an endodontist and I really want to talk about why root canals can make a happier society, I'm on board. I am so excited to learn everything I can about a root canal so that I can help this person speak about it in order to be of service to humanity. And that might sound really silly, but when you have healthy teeth and gums, you're happier. But wait a second, because I personally have like removed root canals. So there is another perspective about root canals creating. That's right. Right. A whole other journey. So had, yeah. (laughs) And we touched on that. She actually touches on how there's a point of view that's in opposition to that. And Mm -hmm. her method is going to support those who do not believe in root canals. So in that conversation, we get to talk about her point of view. We highlight that there is another point of view and that's okay too. But what I know to be true for me and that's how we highlight her voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but what if and when your voice, like say say what's true for you, is in direct opposition to one of your speaker's uh, propositions, then is that um, yeah? Do, is that do you find that challenging? I don't find it challenging because as one of my values is inclusion, and that means mm. inclusion. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it requires me, and I, I listen to, I study with Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, who has passed not long ago. And um, I, I am very much the, the, in the Buddhist tradition, all human beings, all voices matter. Yes. And when we have compassion for ourselves and for others, if we don't come together on a certain idea or point of view, that's again, going back to the coexisting. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I'm neutral because I do have strong points of view and I think they're clear in my book. Yeah. But it does mean that everyone's voice matters. And it's as a human being and as a conscious being, it's important for me to see all the sides and to always stay curious. Mm. Yeah, and you do. That's really evident in who you who you be, <laughs> Trisha. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I loved also that you open in your book, and I say this just because, like, wait, it's been a minute since we've had a long, deep conversation. So, reading reading the influential voice was kind of my conversation with you the other night, and so you talk about the unconscious competent or the what is it, the conscious incompetent, and. Yeah, because if what what would you say if I said to you, oh my God, you're so lucky you have had all these opportunities, Trisha? I think <laughs> several years ago, I would probably say you're right. And what I've come to learn is that I was unconsciously competent and I was creating my success and opportunities without knowing that I was consciously creating them. And I'll break that down a little bit. When I first became a choreographer, I had never choreographed a step in my life. I was always a dancer. Now, as a dancer, you understand 
the art form of choreography because you're doing other people's choreography. But there's a lot of dancers who are not good choreographers. I was moving out of being a dancer and I got a call from John Turturro to choreograph a feature film called Romance and Cigarettes that starred James Gandolfini, Kate Winslet, Susan Sarandon, Christopher Walken, Bobby Cannavale, Steve Buscemi, Eddie Izzard. It was epic. And he asked me to choreograph this film. Now I, I proved that I, I proved myself in a, in a couple meetings before he asked me, but I, I was always saying to myself, I accidentally became a choreographer for major motion picture. And then I accidentally became a director and then I accidentally became a writer. And the reality is I was creating those opportunities because I was ready and because I was willing and I was, I was a yes. When I became conscious of my ability and I became consciously competent, that is when I created the big talk and everything that you're talking about seeing me doing over the last five years with this company, that's because I stepped into being consciously competent. I absolutely can create this business. I absolutely can serve a global community of speakers. I absolutely can produce the TEDx event that I want. I absolutely can do this, this, and this. And so when I became consciously competent and stopped saying I accidentally became something, everything changed. And that also creates the confidence competence loop. A little bit of consciousness and confidence and competence creates more confidence. A little more confidence creates more competence. So that's why the confidence competence loop comes when you become conscious. Now everybody repeat after Trisha. <laughs> Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather. <laughs> Conscious, competent, confident. Those are the important takeaways. Yes, yes. And one of the things that I, I know that you even touch on in the book, and I love that this was there because I see this in you, is, is performance. It's performance in two ways, right? It's how you perform on stage, how you show up, but also like what does it take to be a high performer and to create and to be prolific and to be consistent? And that's another C word, right? Consistent. And, and, you know, you, you take that really seriously or maybe playfully, but tell us about your, like, what, what have you always been this way? Was it part of your training in your physical, you know, as a dancer or, you know, like how did, what was the crossover? Where did you realize, Oh, I need to put this in practice in my business in my, you know, and how I, how I do my personal care, my self-care. Yeah, talk us about. I have always been like this because when you make the decision to be a dancer, a professional dancer, it requires tenacity, discipline, grit, consistency for everything. And it, because I began my journey as a dancer so young at seven, and I know that was the perfect age for me because I solidified my belief system in what was possible. Now, I was still an unconscious competent, but I, I solidified at seven years old what I knew was going to happen, which was moving to New York City to dance with Bershnikov. So that meant everything I ate and drank, everything I put into my body, how I stretched. I was obsessed with watching TV in the splits. 
I had my feet underneath the doors so that I could have a better arch. I would roll up and roll down in my point shoes all the time so that my toes would be extremely strong. I mean, I was obsessed with what it took to be a ballet dancer. And that consistency and that discipline was normal to me. I didn't go out after school. I went to dance class. I didn't eat steak and shake. I had vegetables and popcorn. Now I never had an eating disorder. Thankfully, I enjoyed food and knew how to eat. And somebody taught me how to eat nutritionally. Thank, thank goodness, my dance teacher. And that is why I was so able to progress so quickly. And everything that I did then is what I do now. It's just that I'm more informed as an adult. I have to get nine hours of sleep. I get up every day at 4 a.m. so that I have enough time in the morning for self-care. I drink a gallon of water every single day. I eat cruciferous vegetables. I have the right supplements. I work with a naturopath. I have an aura ring. The reason that I'm so diligent about being a high performer is because I have a lot of work to do while I'm here and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And that is super important to me. I want to rise every single day at the top of my game. I want to play at elevation so that this time with you, Stephanie, is incredibly valuable and important. I'm super present with you. The time with my husband at five o'clock when I leave this office, he gets all of me and the best of me. The time with my cats, the time with my team, we have such limited time on this planet. I want everybody to have my, my absolute best and to be seen by me in that moment. Hmm. I could feel you. I could feel you. So like, is that, is that a thought in your mind? We have a limited time. And is that, a, I mean, what's that driving? Is that a driving sense that you feel inside? Every day. Hmm. I wow. grew up in New York City during the height of the AIDS epidemic. I lost my mentor early. My best friend died of cancer at 34. My mm -hmm. sister died in July of last year. Lost my mother-in-law not long ago. I am very, very connected to the circle of life. And I know how fleeting it is, which is why everybody who knows me knows that I love them. Everybody who knows me knows that I respect them or feel um, a camaraderie with them or there's, mm. there's, there are notes around this apartment that Joe doesn't even know are here. That is super important to me because life is such a precious gift and it is very important that I live it like this is the last day, baby. Mm. Wow. I, I, I don't think that, I mean, I, I hear you and I receive this and it's powerful and I know it, it's like fuel. I could feel it as like a hydrogen engine or something by what you're doing. I don't feel that way. And so I'm, I'm going to sit with that. I'm going to, and I'm sure that people who are listening are like, hmm, you know, chew on that because, you know, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in there. And I, I think I, we might, you might source that, that drive from somewhere else. And, you know, it's all kind of the same energy. So mm, yummy. Thank you. Trisha, what's a growth edge for you right now? What do you feel like is, you know, up in your personal, you know, as, as private as you want to get, right? But what, what do you feel like is your inner growth edge right now that when you transcend this thing or this piece, next level, baby, big upgrade coming for you? <laughs> big upgrade. Uh, I 
feel I'm, I'm going to turn, I'm 51. I'm turning 52 in August and I have never felt more in my power or healthy or strong. I box every week. I am so in my body. I've always been in my body as a dancer, but I think next level is my ability to have even more energy so that I can serve at a higher level. And that includes my team has expanded. So we are planning more. The world's opening up a little. So we're planning more. Um, I'm being featured in a documentary called Big Stages, which is super exciting because you'll get to see the process that I work with speakers. And that's really, really exciting. Hmm. Cool. So what are some of the pieces, the internal things? Any, any, is there anything you're coming up against that is helping you step into this bigger service? Coming up against, I think, is time. I am extremely organized with my time and I, I get a lot done. I'm very productive. And I would love for... I would love to be able to just expand time for a second so that I had a little bit more space around everything I need to accomplish. Mm. And you talk about fear too. Like who doesn't talk about fear? <laughs> but I mean, do you ever, what, what, is your, what is your relationship with fear? I coexist with fear pretty, pretty well. And that's because I've been on thousands of stages all over the world. And I know what it's like to step on a huge opera house by yourself and hope you don't forget the steps or hope you don't fall because the floor is new. You haven't actually been on that floor and you don't know if it's, if it's slippery or not. So I'm super comfy with fear and it is really about coexisting with it and using it for fuel. And it's not something that you can teach people. You have to, you have to give them the opportunity to experience it so that they can teach themselves, they can mm -hmm. coexist with fear as well. And that means doing it. It means yeah. getting on stage in front of people. It means doing a podcast. It means putting yourself out there on social media. And the other part of this is being willing to be criticized, being mm -hmm. willing to get feedback or negative feedback even. And that's, that's, what's really important is that you've got to be willing to do that. If you want to be an influential voice mm -hmm. and it's not your business what other people think about you. Yeah. Yeah. Not take it personally. <laughs> right. That's a, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a muscle, right? It is, it is a muscle. And when you do take it personally, think about why you're taking it personally. And it, you're saying this beautifully. It is a muscle and it's something that needs to be flexed and rehearsed and practiced so that the more you put yourself out there and the more vulnerable you become and the more you share and the more you have haters and the more you have people giving you their opinion when you didn't ask, it just rolls off. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I also was like pondering and chewing on in, you know, when, when you talk about, um, you know, being prepared, being prepared, being practiced and also being credible. And part of being credible and part of presenting credibly is, is backing up 
your facts or even your story with statistics and citations and sometimes, you know, kind of having to step in the shoes of other and say, what do they need to experience my credibility? And I struggle with this because, you know, I have a background, I'm pretty credible um, in a lot of ways. And most, a lot of the things that I talk about are just so experiential. They're so personal experience that I struggle or I, I kind of, you know, hold, how do you hold the paradox of, or possibility where you don't need to legitimize your experience? Like your experience is enough. You're a credible human because you had this experience. Give me an example of your life specifically. Like my spiritual experiences, you know, my communication with trees, my communication with uh, multidimensional beings and, you know, the just nonlinear reality that I, I coexist with. That's who I am. And then the very linear world of law of investing and finance and, you know, everything else that, that I do. And, you know, in some, sometimes I feel that there is this, like, how do you bridge that gap? Sometimes it's just what, you know, I just know what I know and I know what I know is true. And that is legitimate, you know, and then, but that's not necessarily enough. Well, show me the facts, show me the data. Right. What I love about this is you do live in both worlds and you I knew that when I first met you, we talked about your connection to trees and source and, and the, all the dimensions that you are spending time in, along with the law and the, the advocacy work and, and now angel investing. What's cool about your story is that you have evidence. It's your personal evidence and you can share that personal story to highlight, showcase, paint the picture for us, what your credibility is. We might not have been there to hear you speaking to the tree, or we might not know what the language is that the tree is speaking because the tree is speaking, but you speak the tree's language. So that doesn't mean it's not happening. But I think being able to tell those stories and to highlight and showcase and paint that picture is all you need to do. Hmm. There is a, a little bit of a caveat there that kind of communication style and that kind of um, storytelling is not allowed on the TED stage, but there is an audience for you as the credible expert who is in touch with multidimensional beings. <laughs> is it really not allowed on the TED stage? Like nope. they say no, no, no talk of multidimensionality? No talk of pseudoscience, manifestation, source. They're very specific. Yeah, I suppose. That's interesting. So, all right, in our little bit of time, you know, one of the things that I experienced within my um, journey with you and you, it was actually really quite fun to apply for the TEDx talk that when you were producing in New York City and um, really feeling into this, the, what's your big idea? You did quite a, a beautiful amount of kind of coaching and Anybody, you got to check out trishabrook.com, but you'll find all her resources um, in the show notes. But one of the things that really is different from the way that you teach it, and it really helps you think differently, is this idea of what's the big idea? 
what's the big idea? And that's probably where the big talk came from, I'm assuming. So tell us about the big idea, that piece. Like, you know, someone has a lot to say. Let's not use my my story about trees, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, someone has a lot to say and they come to you and, you know, how do you help somebody to say, what's your big idea? When somebody comes to me, the first thing we do is have an active listening session. I just ask them tons of questions around what they're doing. And I'll give you two examples. Kristen Smedley, who came to me and said, I want, this was before I was a TEDx organizer. She said, I want to talk about rare eye disease. I founded a foundation 16 years ago because I have three kids and two were born blind. And she wanted to talk about retinal disease and bring awareness. At the end of our conversation, after all the questions, I said, Kristen, this talk is not about rare eye disease. It's about how you learn to see the world differently through the eyes of your children. The big idea is so much bigger in that context than rare eye disease. And the reason why is because now I can connect to her talk. Mm-hmm. I can think about seeing the world through the eyes of someone else and create more empathy and compassion around it. And that is how you, you, how you do that is by asking yourself three questions. Why is this idea important? Why is it important to me? And why is it important to the world? And that will help you distill your idea into the big idea that has global impact. So for Kristen, why is this idea important? Awareness. Why is it important to her? She's got two blind kids. Why is it important to the world? Because when you talk about seeing the world through the eyes of others, you create more compassion and empathy. Here's Mm -hmm. another example. Marie Elizabeth Molly came to me and wanted to talk about relationship alchemy. It was a little bit vague, a little bit nebulous. How do we talk about relationship alchemy as a TED idea? So we spent a lot of time unpacking and just sitting with it. And that's part of this process you know this, things reveal themselves to you when you're ready. I knew this idea would reveal itself to us. So she gets on a call just home from Cabo. She's an underwater photographer and scuba diver. And she starts sharing about her trip. The trip was amazing. There are all these sea life. There's um, sea life that are gender neutral. Some of the, the, the male sea life, they actually hold the eggs in their mouth while they're being fertilized. Some of the female sea life, she was telling me this whole story. And I said, Marie Elizabeth, your talk is about how sea life can teach us about gender fluidity. That's the big idea. So we distill from mm. all of these different things that are important mm. to the big idea. And it takes a minute. That's it. Sometimes it literally takes a minute, but sometimes it takes six months and it requires massaging. It requires listening. It requires being available. It requires being patient and everybody has a big idea inside of them. It just needs time to be cultivated. Hmm. That is so your, that's your tagline. (laughs) As long as I've known you. Yeah. Cause Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Trisha. I love having conversations with you because you're a teacher and a director and you really do, you do impact the world in beautiful ways. So share with us one more nugget, one last nugget. Just think about, let's just tune in to whoever is out there listening and 
We're traversing this intense and beautiful moment in our world right now together. And what's just something that you want to drop into the hearts of millions? I want you all to really hear that you are an influential voice. If you are sitting across the kitchen table from your children and your partner, you are an influential voice. If you're sitting across the boardroom table from your team, you are an influential voice. If you are standing across the counter from your barista, you are an influential voice. Everything you say matters. And it's so imperative that you really acknowledge that your voice matters. Thank you. Thank you. Your voice matters, Trisha. <laughs> Thank you. Stephanie, your voice yeah. matters. Yes. So everybody definitely check out the show notes. We'll have links to Trisha's website and she is also offering a, a free chat, a free uh, access to her first chapter in her book. So go to the influential voicebook.com and you'll find that link in the show notes as well. And the link that will take you to that free first chapter. It's a, it's a great book and it's like a workbook as well. Really, you, you will actually have an outcome if you read and do the book. So thanks for sharing that with us, Trisha. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Catalyst Talks. Stay tuned for what's up next and please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. You'll find those links at catalysttalks.com. Join us and we continue this conversation on social media. And if you'd like to reach out to me privately, you can send me a message at stephanietrager.com. Your attention here means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you.